and welcome to Not Your Pastor's Audio Podcast with your host, Jason Duncan. And he said, I don't even believe in Jeebus. And Alex Ryman. I don't want to leave my Jinko jeans behind. Well, let's start the show. From the basement of Living Grace Welcome. Baptist Temple Welcome. in you Flint, Michigan, it. it is Not Your Pastor's Podcast. Alex. In audio format we, on the World Wide Web. This, this internet thing is so exciting. I am so excited to be able to play Minesweep with, on this computer that we found here. Minesweep's a blast. It's better than Solitaire, I think. Oh, are you I sure? Feel. Yeah. I mean, when all the cards fall down after you win, it just wait, wait, there's something what? about hey, life. No, wait, go back up. What? You beat it? Oh, have you not? I w- Tell me, you flipped the deck, don't you? You flipped the deck, you little no. cheater. No, you flipped the deck. There's no way you beat that without no. flipping. Do you do it by threes or ones? Threes? You draw by three, you draw by one. Tell me. Well, mainly just one. Okay. Let me pick the you fish background. Draw on the by card. one and you flip the deck. You flip the deck. Listen, anyway, it's so it's satisfying. Unbeatable. It's so satisfying when all those cards fall down, my friend. So satisfying. Maybe one day I'll experience it. But right now, you are experiencing us recording on a computer we found in the basement, donated by a former deacon who. Shall remain nameless. Yeah, we. Let's just say his name has been written out of the Lamb's Book of Life. It has for now, unless he unless he goes full with a full full repentance. It doesn't seem likely, since he's in another country. But maybe anyway, some of the church think this think this recording gear is a little tainted. But we're going to use it for the Lord's work. Absolutely, we are, Jason, and I am so excited for this internet thing. I think it's really going to take off. Yeah. So by now, you've you've most assuredly, to use Bible terms, have stumbled across us on the World Wide Web. Thank you, Al Gore. Not your pastors. You'll be used by the Lord. Dot com. Because, Alex, we're not pastors. Not yet, anyway. Oh, <laughs> I'm so pumped. <laughs> uh, yeah, eventually. Maybe you'll make it, but me, not so much. I'm getting close. I can feel it. I, don't I just completed... James. Two semesters at Bethany South Baptist Seminary in the beautiful state of Kentucky. It's really hard for me not to slip into my southern accent. Sometimes you, I do. I'm trying really hard. Just wait till you get a couple iced teas in you, then it really... <laughs> well, let's get to our first sponsor, I Alex. love this sponsor. It's sometime in the future. The ultimate challenge. Crossfire. Milton Bradley does not endorse the views or opinions held by this pastor's podcast. Nope, no, they don't, but they sure do make a sweet game. I'm so excited to get it for this Christmas. Did you did you notice? Did you notice something they said at the end of that commercial? You'll get caught up in it. Mind blown. Oh my gosh. That it's goes, like it was predestined. Yeah, it's like the Holy Spirit is just speaking to us now because that happens to go along perfectly with our Bible verse of the day. Jason, hit play on that tape deck, man. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I cannot wait. 
I cannot wait, Alex. I cannot wait to meet the Lord in the air. Oh my goodness. What a day of rejoicing that will be. I've already got my outfit picked up. What you're going to grace somebody with? Well, it's going to be my crisscross uniform. <gasps> and when I get raptured, it'll still be backwards. <laughs> that is funny. That's funny. So so when you leave your clothes behind, they're going to be backwards on the ground. And those sinners, they'll know. They'll know. <laughs> they'll know that you can listen to crisscross and still go to heaven. Oh, man, that's so great. Because it's make it, make it, make it, make it, make it, make it, whack, y'all. Oh, <laughs> Man, this reminds me of something we did last Sunday night with the kids. Oh, what did you do? Oh, Alex, you're going to be so excited. I led so many children to Jesus. Well, good for you, man. Yeah. Okay, so here's what we did is I had this whole thing planned out. So the kids start coming into the to the room. All right. And I've got just popular music playing in the background you know a little bit of a little bit of no doubts playing oh gwen stefani okay yeah, a little bit of radio heads just you know there you go okay the latest get hits. it going man they're all playing and the kids you know they're not thinking much about it the music's going in the background and then i had this time perfectly so listen how this whole thing played out so then news headlines start coming in on the tape that i'm playing and it starts talking about disappearances throughout the land no you didn't yeah and the kids oh are God. like, what's going on? What's going on? What? And so I had arranged me and with some of the some of the pastor's kids, some of the, you know, the good ones, the ones who have already been oh, baptized. Yeah, because, oh, no. So, no, I'm listen, afraid. listen to me, Alex, because this has a this. good ending. So me and the good kids, oh, I, I had this whole thing. Because they're all good kids, aren't they? They've They've been baptized. They've been baptized, Alex. Finish your story. Just listen to my story. So I had the um the breaker. And we're down in the ba- we're down in this basement, Living Grace Baptist Temple, and I turned off the power and me and the good kids, we ran out of the room and I flipped back on the power. No. And and all the all the bad kids were left were left behind. Oh, oh Alex, they no goodness. listen to this. It scared them. It scared them straight. You did not. It scared them straight because they thought they had been left behind. And then I came back and I said, no, 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 no. That's how? You, you haven't been left behind. I mean, Alex, we had to. We've been studying Matthew 24. We've been studying Ephesians. I mean, not, not Ephesians. I'm sorry. Thessalonians. We've been studying Revelation. And no. Just, we had uh, to. Oh, my God. No. What do you do? First of all, do not use the, the Lord's name in vain, Alex. Jason, I don't know how else to say this. You didn't get legit conversions. You scared a bunch of kids to Jesus. How dare you? I I don't see the problem. They're Are you good, serious? They're going to be with Jesus now. You you just scared them. You just you did the. Do you want to go to mommy with mommy and daddy to heaven, or do you want to go to hell? Listen, this was one of the best teaching tactics I have learned so far at seminary. Jason, I'm. I I feel like this is this event that you've just described to me will have lasting repercussions for years to come yeah all eternity as they're in heaven oh, with jesus not, that's not what i you mean. know what you know what we've we've stumbled across something here on this basement computer we found a way to look into the future and i think this is the perfect time to look into the future alex so we can see what happens you know what jason there you're gonna be wrong I will prove you wrong. Doubtful. Jesus is good. I led people to Jesus. It was good. Jason, fire up the time machine. All right. Hold on. Now, we got a... a what's today's date? Uh, May 1st, 1996. Okay. Now, start Captain Bible. And now the internet. Okay. Welcome to the 1st of May 2019. So where have these fear-based, left-behind, in-time conversions to Jesus that many of us evangelical Christians were exposed to in our youth led believers? 
When I began studying this topic, I YouTubed the term rapture and was shocked to find an overwhelming amount of rapture dream videos, many of them like this. Jesus came to me in my dream. The rapture is coming close. And Jesus is crying because he doesn't want he doesn't want to come down and do it, but he has to. But in my dream, I was in the ocean. And, it, and, and the light was above the ocean. And as I kept trying to swim towards it, the devil would pull me under. And he would show me all my sins. Everything that I've done and the people around me. I'm telling you, people, if you're out there, you need to start praying. Because he's coming. He kept telling me the third day. The third day is is getting is getting close. Y'all need to really get down and start praying because if you don't believe, you need to start praying now. Because if you don't believe, you're not you don't want to do the seven years with the devil. You do not want to do the seven years with the devil because he will show me what he's gonna do. He's 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 gonna eat your flesh and he's he's gonna make love to your dead body. He's impregnating women. He's. He's nothing good. It's all torture. It's, it's horrible. I mean, the individuals in these videos range from elderly women excited about the prospects of being caught up in the air with their cat, to toddlers being coached by their parent to recall a dream where they saw the world being destroyed and people floating in the air. Rapture dreams aside, here's the audio from a rapture prank video. This man thought it would be funny to make some children in the family believe they were left behind. Here's the reaction. Trigger warning, if you thought you were left behind as a child, this might stir up some memories. In this video, he's taken his place cameras throughout the house to capture multiple angles of the children freaking out at clothes that are laid out on the couches and going up the stairs and as if they were caught up in the air while doing normal things. Kind of funny, but to many of us who grew up in the evangelical church, we also get how terrified these children are. Because what this means is that these children have been left behind. Their loved ones gone. The Antichrist is coming. He'll make them take the mark of the beast, or worse. He's he's gonna eat your flesh, and he's he's gonna make love to your dead body. I mean, they're about to watch the earth be destroyed as God pours out His judgment on the wicked and prepares this world for the next. So. Maybe it's not funny? Before we go any further, let's pump the brakes for a moment and define the rapture. We sat down with Zach Hunt, who has his master's in Christian history from Yale Divinity School, and is the author of Unraptured, How End Times Theology Gets It Wrong. And we asked him, what is the rapture? So that's actually a really good question. Um, Not just like laying the idea, but even a lot of Christians I think who think they know what the rapture is conflate it a lot with the second coming. Um, but those are two very different events. So the rapture yes. um, is an idea that was essentially invented in the late 19th century by a guy named John Darby. Um, he's a Scottish preacher, comes over the United States right after the Civil War, preaches all over the United States, UK. Um, and he creates this idea that there is a two-stage return to Jesus. And this was a fairly – essentially a brand-new idea on the church's radar. Like it does not exist um, in church history. I've not seen any examples to – or any references that I'm familiar with to a two-stage um, return of Jesus before Darby shows up. There's some idea that he might have borrowed the idea from a girl who supposedly gave a prophecy, but – Not a woman, a- Zach. Not a woman. I know. <laughs> feeling ideas from women. Yeah, that's a new one. Um, anyway, but so Darby comes up with this idea that before Jesus returns, there will actually be what he calls a rapture um, or what becomes 
known as rapture. And it's the idea that the faithful remnant of Jesus who are still on the earth will be taken away into heaven in the twinkling of an eye and avoid what um, dispensationalism calls the uh, the tribulation, which is this idea that there will be seven years of, you know, essentially hell on earth where, where the Antichrist shows up and there's all these plagues and the moon turns to blood. You know, all those things that we associate with Revelation, you know, are supposed to happen. And then Jesus returns um, for the second coming. Um, but historically, the church has only believed in the second coming, and that's the idea that Jesus returns once and brings the kingdom of God and does all the restoration and renewal. Um, so the, the, the basic difference is in the rapture, Jesus comes halfway and meets us in heaven. Um, in the second coming, Jesus comes all the way, and you know the rapture is fairly new. Second coming is as old as, as the Christian faith. Um, that word certainly doesn't appear you know, anywhere in the Bible. Um, you know, but more importantly, the idea doesn't, you know, in second Thessalonians, Paul talks about, you know, that's where you get the twinkling of an eye language. Yeah, the that's the key. Uh, yeah. Um, a lot of other dispensations will lean on Revelation 4.1, which is where John is taken up in the air and there's a voice from heaven that says, come up here. Um, and it's there where the rapture is kind of wedged in the scripture because in uh, Latin, so like in the Latin Vulgate, which is what the church would have used for several hundred years, um, the Latin word there is rapio, um, come up here, and that would be where you know, the anglicized version of that comes out into rapture. Um, but the problem is like those ideas, again, aren't describing a rapture um, because like the rapture idea isn't just not biblical. Um, it's anti-biblical. Uh, the story of the Bible isn't the story of God whisking his people or whisking her people away from danger. You know, the story of the people of God is God walking with the people of God through the Red Sea, walking with the people of God through the wilderness, walking into exile with the people of God, putting on flesh and going to the cross and then coming down the form of the Holy Spirit and, and living and you know dwelling in the church, you know, here on earth. Um, the story of the Bible is the story of a God who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, not a God who rips us away. Um, and so the idea of a rapture um, isn't just not in the Bible. It's anti-biblical. And in fact, like the whole – I go so far in the book as to say that the whole idea of this – all this end times theology you know, is itself anti-Christ um, because Christ – the fundamental you know, message – one of the fundamental messages of the gospel is that God has put on flesh and dwelt among us. You know, incarnation is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of Christianity. You know, God coming down and, and, and changing things here and now and the kingdom of God breaking into our lives here and now, not just in some, you know, distant future. Um, that's the beauty. I mean, that's the good news of Christianity. The good news of the gospel is that the gospel is relevant to our lives here and now that the gospel is as practical impacts on our lives now, mm. not just in some distant future and not after, um, you know, after we die, but the rapture is all about after we die or after we get taken away or, or avoiding all this pain and all this suffering. Um, you know, it, it's antichrist because the message of Jesus isn't follow me and then we'll save you from danger. It's pick up your cross and follow me die to self. Um, so yeah, I mean the rapture, you know, one point, like I said, I try to push through the book is the rapture is not just not in the Bible. It's anti-biblical. So what you're saying is I'm going to go through all the bad shit, Zach. That'll preach. Blame it on Jesus. Yeah, my my understanding of the gospel is not going to fill the pews. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the whole message of the gospel in and of itself. Like, it's yeah. not going to it's not going to draw the crowds. It's going to draw like maybe a hundred and fifty. Calling the rapture anti-biblical might seem a bit extreme, but as someone who is constantly terrified of being on the wrong side of the rapture, the idea of it not happening is kind of a relief. It removes this idea of a prejudgment. I'm honestly not the best Christian. I make mistakes. I sin. It's not hard to see myself as being left behind, and I'm sure it's not hard to see yourself either. Also, as someone who has struggled with depression and at times the assurance of my salvation, the rapture doesn't offer the comfort of escapism as it does for some. Rather, it reinforces that at any moment, God will take away those he really loves, and I'll be left behind. So how did all this left-behind language become so popular in evangelicalism? Zach mentioned dispensationalism, so let's start there. As many of my contemporaries do when we have a question, I YouTubed it. Here's how John MacArthur defined dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is a system. It is a system um, 
It is a system. Aw, <laughs> uh, John sounds stuck. Let's give him some music to help him get going. That got sort of out of control. I think it started out with a right understanding. The, the earliest and most uh, foundational and helpful comprehension of dispensationalism was that the Bible taught a unique place for Israel and that the church could not fulfill God's promises to Israel. Therefore, there is still a future and a kingdom involving the salvation and the restoration and the reign of the nation Israel, historical Jews. So let me tell you, uh, I have been accused through the years of being a leaky dispensationalist, and I, I suppose I am. So let me take you down to where I believe dispensationalism, I, I, don't, I don't use that term because it carries too much baggage, but let me take you down to what part of dispensationalism I affirm with all my heart. It is this, that there is a real future for Israel. And that has nothing to do with some kind of extra-biblical system. That has nothing to do with some developed um, sort of grid placed over Scripture. The reason that I believe you have to have a future for Israel is because that is what God promised. Period. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with John MacArthur on this, but this idea of a future for Israel is precisely how the fears of being left behind got exacerbated by modern-day prophets who have an infatuation reading current-day headlines into biblical prophecy and end-time text. Couple that with Christian Zionism, which is the support for the nation of Israel to regain their land to usher in the second coming of Christ, and you have the perfect cocktail for the end. So where does the end begin? Let's start with Jesus in Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Okay, let's speed this up a little bit. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away, and betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Some brutal words there from Jesus. But it's really easy to read this passage and start inserting headlines, especially in the early to mid-1900s. Wars and rumors of wars and famines? Yep, it had those. Some brutal ones at that. An estimated 58 to 80 million people worldwide died as a result of World War I and II and war-related famines. What about earthquakes? Plenty of those. But what about Jesus' mention of the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place? Wouldn't Israel have to be reformed and the temple be rebuilt for that statement to come true? Paul mentions this event again in 2 Thessalonians 2, and John makes a vague reference in Revelation 11. All signs point to a return of Israel, and that's exactly what happened in 1948. 
After the end of World War II, Israel is granted statehood by the United Nations and given a partition of the land Palestine, returning them home by biblical standards. In New York City in May of 48, American Jewry joins the freedom-loving peoples of the world to celebrate the thrilling news. United Nations laws have established Palestine as a free and independent state to be known as Israel. And there's one bold star on a brave new flag waving among the proud banners of free nations. Israel becoming a nation again was the tipping point for dispensational biblical interpretations. None more popular than Hal Lindsey, a graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary and author of the bestseller The Late Great Planet Earth, which came out in 1970. The Late Great Planet Earth is a treatment of literalist, premillennial dispensational eschatology. As such, it compared end-time prophecies in the Bible with then-current events in an attempt to predict future scenarios resulting in the rapture of believers before the tribulation and second coming of Christ to establish his thousand-year kingdom on earth. Emphasizing various passages in the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Lindsay originally suggested the possibility that these events might come to a climax during the 1980s. The problem is, to tie all this stuff together as Hal Lindsay and others have, you have to fill in a lot of missing links. I'll let our guest Zach Hunt explain. You've got these end times experts, and this is very much you know, who I was, who have this big picture idea you know, of what Revelation has to mean. And so, but the problem is Revelation doesn't give them all of the points they need to get from point A of Jesus, uh, you know, dying on the cross and resurrecting and then Jesus, you know, in the second coming or whatever point A, maybe point A is a rapture and point B is like, doesn't matter. So like the, the, um, the antichrist, right, is, is, is in Revelation. The false prophet is, is in Revelation. The plagues and the bowls of wrath, those things are in Revelation. And then, you know, new heaven and new earth. But all of these like things that you see in the left behind novels, all these supposed prophecies you know, that we have been talking about um, are, are invented um, whole cloth to serve this greater chart or this greater graph or this greater map of Revelation. Because Revelation doesn't take you from point A to point B of the end times chart. Um, they have to create all of these events. So, for example – um, like we talked, you just talked about the Antichrist, you know, rising. Well, in the, you know, the book of Revelation, the Antichrist just, just rises. You know, there's, there's not this establishment of this new temple. You know, there's not, you know, the movement of the embassy because America has no, obviously has no role in Revelation because America is, doesn't exist for the, you know, several, you know, hundred, almost 2000 years. But, but what happens is they, they look at Revelation and say, well, the Antichrist comes in and then desecrates the temple. Well, we know that the temple doesn't exist anymore, so the temple has to be rebuilt. Well, if it has to be rebuilt, then you know um, we have to get rid of the temple mount that's there now, or the you know the the Muslim um, the mosque that is there, the gold mosque. And well, for that to happen, then you, this has to happen. And so you can kind of see how they start working backwards. And so all these prophecies get created because it just out of kind of like um, a, a backwards logic. So well, if this has to happen first, or, or if we're trying to get to here, um, that is actually in Revelation. Well, here's five other things that need to happen first. And the, those five other things, which have nothing to do with Revelation, aren't in Revelation at all, suddenly become biblical prophecies because they're necessary for this particular interpretation of Revelation to exist. And it's, it's all fun and games until 60 people get killed because Donald Trump moved the embassy to pander to conservative evangelicals. To show an example of how these prophecies get connected to news headlines, I'll defer to the man himself. Nearly 50 years after the release of the late great planet Earth, Hal Lindsey is still interpreting today's headlines in his show, The Hal Lindsey Report. Check this out. New York recently announced that its public schools should join the worldwide movement known as Meatless Mondays. The decision will take effect this fall. It's supposed to be good for the environment and good for the children's health. Those ideas are hotly disputed. British pediatric dietitian Helen Wilcox points out vegan children can be deficient in vitamin D, calcium, iron, and possibly vitamin B12. Going without meat one day a week is unlikely to harm children. I mentioned the idea of Meatless Monday because the movement fulfills Bible prophecy. First Timothy chapter four says, but 
the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. The King James translator specifically said, commanding to abstain from meats. Today, it is becoming politically incorrect to eat meat or dairy. That's exactly what the Bible said would happen in later times. Okay, I don't want to knock Lindsay. He's done a lot of great work for the Lord. Read the comments under his videos. I mean, many have come to a long-lasting relationships with Christ. I do have to question, though, if this stuff doesn't pan out like Lindsay has warned and predicted, do these converts remain in the faith? If something doesn't happen before the end of their life, do they just give up on it? Is this the best way to reach people for Jesus? We'll explore that more later. But it doesn't just begin with Hal Lindsay. In 1972, the movie A Thief in the Night hits theaters as well as churches. It's the first Christian film of its kind, mixing pop music in with horror elements as a young woman who has been left behind is chased down by the One World Government Agency United for her refusal to receive a tattoo marking on her wrist or forehead of the binary for 666, the mark of the beast. Take note of the refrain of the song that opens the movie. By the mid-70s, rapture culture was alive and well in the American Evangelical Church. By the 90s, it reached a fever pitch when George Bush Sr. declared a new world order in a speech September 11, 1991. Certain that we stand at a defining hour. Halfway around the world, we are engaged in a great struggle in the skies and on the seas and sands. We know why we're there. We are Americans, part of something larger than ourselves. For two centuries, we've done the hard work of freedom, and tonight, we lead the world in facing down a threat to decency and humanity. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order, a new world nations, order. A new world order. In common cause, a new world order. To achieve a the universal aspirations of mankind. Peace and security, freedom and the rule of law. Such is a world worthy of our struggle and worthy of our children's future. While this may sound like good news to most people, the New World Order is thought to be, by many dispensationalists, the beginning of the one world government that will usher in the Antichrist, who will declare peace to all nations and make promises to Israel during the Great Tribulation of Revelation before he takes a seat on the throne of the rebuilt temple in Israel. It sounds crazy, right? And all these things are loosely connected biblically. But that doesn't stop them. With the invention of the internet, dispensationalists began warning the masses of the end, even making instructional videos for those who had been left behind. Like this one. Hello, I'm Paul Lalonde, co-host of This Week in Bible Prophecy. What you've just seen is a dramatization of what we think the news may have looked like in very recent days. You see, the world you're sitting in right now is a completely different world than the one I'm sitting in recording this message. An event the Bible calls the rapture has taken place, and millions or even billions of people have vanished from the face of the earth, including myself and all of the men you're going to see on this video today. You know, while we can't begin to imagine what the world you're sitting in right now must be like, 
we can at least say we knew this was going to happen and we can answer many of the questions that are so important. This video from the early 90s was a production of Cloud 10 Pictures, which would later go on to produce the three left behind movies of the 2000s, as well as 2014's version starring Nicolas Cage, all of which were based off the 1995 novel by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, who got the inspiration for the title from the song by Larry Norman, I Wish We'd All Been Ready, featured in the film A Thief in the Night. Here, let's try this version by DC Talk. The father spoke, the demons dying. How could you have been so blind? There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. No. There's no time to change your mind The sun has come and you've been left behind I hope we'll all be You've been left behind I hope we'll all be You've been left behind I hope we'll all be you Honestly, I can't think of anything more terrifying than actually being left behind and having to hear that song. It's frightening. But now we've come full circle, with multiple generations locked into the rapture culture, giving the dispensational premillennial pre-tribulation view of the end a monopoly on evangelical culture. Sam Storms, an amillennial, Calvinist, charismatic, and board member on John Piper's Desiring God Ministry, does a great job of pointing out that monopoly. Not just in pop culture, but the largest and most widely known study Bibles, American seminaries, parachurch organizations, as well as politics. Give his lecture a listen. Time that uh, the Schofield Reference Bible began to surge in sales and popularity, and it's it's impossible to minimize the influence that that Bible and its interpretation of the biblical text had on this view. Numerous other study Bibles have since emerged. The Criswell Study Bible. Uh, put out by W.A. Criswell, longtime pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. The Ryrie Study Bible, put out by Charles Ryrie, who was my professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, the MacArthur Study Bible that John MacArthur has put out, and we could go on and on. Then you add another factor. Ever since the emergence of television, virtually every successful modern TV evangelist or preacher embraced this view. Um, I only have to mention Billy Graham as a perfect example who embraced this perspective. W.A. Criswell, let me just mention a few. Um, M.R. and Richard Dehan, sometimes some of you all may have grown up on the radio Bible class. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, Charles Stanley, who still preaches in Atlanta. Adrian Rogers, former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. Jack Van Impey, who's got to be approaching 90, still has a local TV program that is decidedly and uniquely focused on this perspective. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, Louis Palau, Bill Bright before he went to be with the Lord a few years ago. James Dobson, Jerry Falwell um, of Liberty University who's now with the Lord. David Jeremiah, John Ankerberg, John Hagee of San Antonio, Texas. I struggle to think of a single um, TV evangelist or preacher who's been on for very long who didn't embrace this particular view. So you can understand why many Christians began to think that this particular understanding of the end times was as much a foundational and fundamental doctrine of the Christian religion as is the deity of Christ or salvation by grace alone. And therefore to question any element, much less the whole system, of this particular eschatology was to expose yourself uh, to a lot of ridicule. And you don't want us exposing ourselves. I just had to include that quote from Ghostbusters. It was fitting. So anyway, with the backdrop of rapture culture now in view, what do dispensational, pre-tribulation, pre-millennialists who read the Bible literally in all circumstances think is going to happen? Okay, here goes. But please keep in mind that there are many, many variations of this. In the world of Christendom, the next big event to occur is the rapture. 
A super loud trumpet blows, and then Jesus makes an appearance in the sky, but doesn't touch the ground. Please note, this is not the second coming. When he does, he'll gather up the saints, those who believe in him, and they'll be taken away into the clouds, possibly leaving a bunch of clothes behind. This is before the tribulation, our pre-trib. Also left behind are believers, who in various ways, shapes, and forms get punished for not believing. But have no fear, a really awesome guy shows up named Antichrist, and he unifies the entire world and makes a promise of peace and prosperity to Israel. He forms a one-world government, or at least a common currency, which is probably Bitcoin. And in order to purchase things, you'll have to get tattooed with his number, which is either a barcode or a microchip made at 666 in United Nations Lane, Rome. Or at least someplace not in the United States. Everything seems cool, but three and a half years into it, he breaks his promise to Israel and starts attacking them and turning everyone against them. 3.5 years later, making a total of seven years, Jesus returns for real this time, and he's angry. Also, he might be a giant and super white, like glowing white. He gets knee-deep in the blood of his enemies by stomping them out. He then throw punches of beast at the Battle of Armageddon and binds them in chains. Then Jesus reigns for a thousand years, aka the Millennium. But it doesn't end there. He builds a kingdom, and anyone alive after the battle goes into mini-judgment, like he mentions in Matthew 25, where unbelievers go to a fireplace, and believing Israelites and believing Gentiles enter into the kingdom in their physical mortal bodies make babies and have wealth and prosperity and extended life cycles. Also note that at this time, Old Testament good people and good people who died during the seven year tribulation come back to life and enter the kingdom as well. However, during this thousand years, possibly the babies born, nobody knows for sure, who didn't see the beast get throat punched, start to not believe in Jesus even though he's standing right next to him, there in his glorified body. After the thousand years, Satan is set free once again and forms a giant army with his demons, bad people, and possibly the unbelieving babies born during the millennium. Satan is then destroyed again, this time for good, and God begins a final judgment where bad believers go to hell forever with Satan and his demons and are tortured. And good believers join up with the raptured Christians to enter into the new earth and new kingdom for eternity where you have the option of sitting on clouds with harps or playing football, whatever your fancy may be. I mean, you can see why attempting to read the Bible literally to assemble the puzzle of the end times and coming age has been hotly debated over the past several thousand years, which is why several viewpoints on the end have emerged. Unfortunately, many of these viewpoints have been forced to identify with a thousand-year kingdom or the millennium, a period of time that is only referenced once in the entire Bible, in a book full of symbolic language. So while we're at it, let's define these main viewpoints. Premillennialists think that Christ will return before the millennium, mentioned in Revelation 20. As Zach mentioned earlier, the rapture is not the second coming because Jesus never sets foot on the ground. Rather, the church is caught up in the air together with Jesus. This would kind of make Christ's full return a third coming. Regardless, the rapture point varies among scholars. The dominant view, as pointed out in Sam Storm's lecture and in the Left Behind movies, is that the church will be raptured pre-tribulation. Because, as Alex reasons, I don't think Jesus beats his wife. Post-tribulation is after the seven-year period, while mid is, well, mid? It really depends on how you read the latest news headlines. For all we know, we could be in the seven-year tribulation now. Post-millennialists think Christ only returns once, after the millennium, while amillennialists think that we are in a figurative millennium now. Another viewpoint is partial preterism. This viewpoint believes that all of these prophetic events in Revelation, Matthew 24, and the prophets have already been fulfilled in the destruction of the temple in AD 70 by Nero, and that only the second coming, the resurrection of the dead, and final judgment are yet to come. With all these viewpoints and interpretations, how do we determine who's right? MacArthur, Edwards, Calvin, Spurgeon, Stott, Moore, Keener, Henry, you name one. The greatest Bible thinkers, pastors, and theologians all have a different take. Whom do you follow? We asked Zach. That's, that's a great question. Uh, you know, the first, the first, I think, step in the process is is not unlike, you know, um, you know, the twelve steps of AA is you know, admitting you have a problem. And I think the problem for me, specifically, but the church in general, is that we are absolutely terrified of saying I don't know. Um, Dude, we need to say, I don't know more. Absolutely. Because the truth is, I 
couldn't have gotten out of my bubble um, if I never found the humility to say uh, I was wrong um, and, and I don't know and, and like that seems sounds like a false humility and, and it, maybe it is but you know my my friends and family would tell you that you know just those words even cross my lips is nothing less than a miracle you know because that was uh, you know for me saying I was wrong was was akin to sin because you know getting to heaven required me having all the right answers and so in my mind I didn't have the right answers then I was going to hell. So if I was wrong about anything or I didn't know something, I was going to hell. So for me, it starts there. And when I was able, and again, this sounds like an easy process and it's not, you know, for me, there, I had a, a um, kind of a crisis moment uh, in college when I sat down with a professor and, and shared all my end times prophecy ideas with him. And, and he very gracefully shot them down and and it began to be this, uh, this turning moment in my life. Again, not overnight, you know, months, years of getting to the point where I could finally listen to different ideas and, and contrary opinions and give them the, the benefit of the doubt that maybe they knew something more than I did. But the thing that's really, I think, had the biggest impact on my faith lately is again, to go back to St. Augustine, something that, that he wrote. Um, and I think this is, no, on Christian theology, or no, I think that was origin. Who cares? One of these old nobody reads. One of these old geezers yeah. in a toga said some stuff. <laughs> it's in my book. Look at the footnote, and that's where you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he, he's talking about biblical interpretation, and um, and he says, and this is me paraphrasing him, but but he says essentially that you know whatever conclusion you come to when you're reading the Bible, whatever interpretation you land on, no matter how great you think it is, no matter you know, how many proof texts you've lined up, no matter how strong you think your ex-Jesus is or how rock solid your conclusions might be. So if it doesn't lead you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and your neighbors yourself, then you're wrong. So there you have it. Dig in, look up the viewpoints, find an eschatology that makes sense to you, read books, ask your pastor or clergy, just keep it rooted in love. I think it's important to point out that when you read these end-time passages in the Bible, to read them in context, they were written to people who were experiencing persecution, extreme persecution, a concept that is really hard for us to grasp, especially within America. Though some of the passages get dark, it's fair to say that none of them were meant to scare you or make you believe that Satan... Well, he's going to eat your flesh and he's going to make love to your dead body. Rather, they were meant to be taken as encouragement and bring peace to their hearers. So when someone drops a single verse in your lap as the trump card of their viewpoint, keep reading. The passage always says more. And maybe don't read too much into the latest news headlines. There was a wise man who once said, today has enough trouble in it. Let tomorrow worry about itself. I'd love to tell you that all this doesn't matter, but it kind of does. In fact, how those in church leadership view the end has a giant impact on how they respond missionally. And Christian or not, how you view the end has an impact on how you live your life, too. With that said, Alex closes out our interview with Zach Hunt with what's most important. My my conclusion, and maybe this is the conclusion that you've gotten to as well, Zach, is um, whatever your stance is, uh, it doesn't negate the fact that we're put on this earth for a purpose, and that is to proclaim the name of Jesus. Like, Absolutely. So, like, what, whatever tribute, like, whatever, whenever your your rapture happens, so it's like yeah. the term "your truth." Whenever your rapture happens, <laughs> let's put that in quotations. It doesn't negate the fact that, gosh, we serve an amazing God, and He loves people so much that He sent His Son to die for us. And so, like, that's really what we should be doing. Pitching a bunch of ideas that we want people to agree with, um, so that they don't, you know, burn in hell or get, you know, get left behind. That's not really a gospel that I'm interested in. I think that's what gets. That's the problem with a lot of, you know, end times theology is that that it all gets reduced to ideas, right? Yeah. That it's all this this scientific system. And proclaiming the name of Jesus means, you know, agreeing to this list of doctrines so that you don't get left behind so you get to heaven. And so it's like almost this like get rich quick scheme, right? And so that proclaiming the name of Jesus is really about saying magic words so you don't go to hell. You know, it's the sinner's prayer. But if proclaiming Jesus means, 
you know, incarnating the love of God to the least, the lost, and the dying. If they're proclaiming the name of Jesus is found in feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and giving the thirsty poor or, you know, thirsty something to drink to, like that's, that's a proclamation that Jesus, um, you know, that, that I'm totally on board with. I mean, this is, to me, this is what Paul's talking about when he says, you know, if I speak in the tongue of angels, but I have not love, I'm nothing. You know, I'm a gang, gangy. I can't talk. I'm losing my words. But the symbol and the gongs, yeah, you know, I'm with you. Uh, that's why he says, too, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And he's talking about the end times, you know, when all of this stuff has gone away. Every, only thing that really matters is love. Um, and is and that's to me, is what proclaiming the name of Jesus is. Because G, there's only one time in the entire Gospels when Jesus um, sits down with his disciples and says, this is exactly what's going to happen on Judgment Day. And it's in Matthew 25, at the end yeah. of the chapter, in the verse. And it's, and it's not... You know, when we get to heaven, Jesus isn't going to be standing there, you know, saying, well, did you stand on the street corner and preach? Did you affirm the virgin birth? Did you believe in the Trinity? What was your favorite, you know, atonement theory? It's I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was thirsty. Did you give me something to drink? Because whatever we did for the least of these, we did to him. And so, in other words, whatever we did to the least of these was our proclamation of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't learn theology and faith and be able to share, you know, ideas. But really, at the heart you know, my book that I'm trying to get at is that the, all the, the, all the end time stuff and things that I talk about in the book really is just a, is a framework to talk about what is it to ask the question, what's it really mean to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. You know, is being a Christian agreeing to a bunch of ideas um, that, that help me get away to heaven, you know, or is Christianity really ultimately, and I mean, ultimately about a particular way of life that impacts the here and now. And then to borrow from gladiator, echoes you know in eternity uh, i saw the trip the other day and i've been wanting to use that somewhere but yeah you know that that whole idea that christianity you know is, is it about ideas or is it way of life you know in 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 some sense it's about both because our ideas hopefully shape a particular way of life but you know i, I worry and i think this is why the church has become largely irrelevant um in a lot of areas of the world not least a lot you know a lot of points in the united states is that the christianity is exhausted by our ideas christianity you know what we believe it means to be christian christian is i profess that i agreed you know that i believe in jesus as the son of god i profess that these doctrines are true so now i'm saved but you know the bible says even the demons believe that and shudder Um, most of us aren't shuddering enough to you know live the particular way of life that lines up with those confessions of faith one final thought you don't have to be a christian to get caught up in the end times Outside of the Bible, there are several different end times thoughts. Some people think we could disappear into an alternate universe. Some people think aliens are going to beam us up, while others believe we are in some sort of computer simulation that could end at any moment. Countless movies and TV shows have been made over the years interpreting these theories. And A Thief in the Night and Left Behind are just that, an artist interpretation of how some biblical scholars think the world might end. As with any good work of art, they are meant to make you think, get you talking, and to have a reaction. While I personally don't think it's a good idea to scare people out of hell and into Jesus, that's not to say God can't use these films to redeem people for him. If there's at least one person out there who watched Left Behind and decided soon after to join an addiction recovery ministry, or volunteer at a homeless shelter, or donate money to an organization helping young moms, or visit men and women in prison, or driven them in any fashion to spread the love of Jesus to the least of these, then Left Behind is a win. Just as well, it's fair to say as Zach pointed out, maybe Jesus left us behind to be his hands and feet now. I guess we'll find out something. You, no, you are, you're joking. I am speechless. Was that the end? You guys, you heard it first here. Nine, oh. May 1st, 2019. I don't, I don't even know how to. Was that the trumpet? That sounded a lot like a trumpet. I'm, you're tearing up. Y'all better start praying. It must have, it must have been a glitch or something. This internet thing is highly unpredictable. You never know what you're going to stumble upon. Uh, I, I guess nobody knows for sure, but we're pretty likely, more than not, it's yep. May 1st, 2019. But that mark your calendars. Okay. I mean, thank, thank God we're safe in the 90s right now. We yeah, got time. We got time. We still have plenty of time. Yeah. But Jason, 
I'm not gonna lie. That that glimpse into the future, I think, proves my point. Hmm. You know what? You know what proves my point? What? You swore, and and I know our listeners well, can't when, see what we look like in 2019, but we both have long hair and we both have tattoos. And I'm sorry, I don't know how trustworthy that future is. Okay. All, all I know is I look cool as hell. Don't stop swearing, Alex. We're in the basement of Living Grace Baptist Temple. You can't be swearing down here. Now listen to me. I thought the little high-pitched voice, the little, you want to know what heaven, what the end's really going to be like, that garbage. Mm-hmm. I thought that was offensive. Okay. But I do see their point as a work of art. So maybe, maybe I'll go back to the kids. You might want to try a different tactic. Most of them are bus ministry kids. They won't be back anyway, so... Oh, my gosh, Jason. It's the only community outreach we have at Living Grace Baptist Temple. Well, I don't know where else to go from here, but it might be a good segue to our next sponsor, Alex. This movie... This movie, it comes out in just a few days, May 10th, and I think... Well, let's let's just play it. Let's just let's just play the trailer. There is a mystery, elusive, unpredictable, violent. It terrifies most scientists, but for a new breed. The challenge is saving lives. The research is deadly. The laboratory is nature itself. And potentially uh, could be a storm that has a wind and exit. Now, assume the worst at this point. Twister, Alex. Warner Brothers does not support or endorse any of the views and opinions held by this audio format. Yeah, it's it's important to note that. It's also important to note Twister is from the producers of Jurassic Park, the director of Speed. This movie... It's got some legs. Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt. This it's, is, this is going to be Bill Paxton's breakout role i know he's been in a lot of stuff previous to this but i think this is good and i know i'm married but helen hunt Mm. (laughs) helen hunt need a moment okay you know what jason what we really need is a moment to read some stuff that we found on the internet that's right people have logged on to notyourpastors.com and they have been signing our guest book And we are thrilled to bring those to you. So, here they are. On the mark, get set. We're riding on the internet. Cyberspace set free. Hello, virtual reality. Interactive appetite. Searching for a website. A window to the world. Got to get online. Take a spin. Now you're in with the techno set. You're going surfing on the internet. All right, Jason, here we go. We're going to read some stuff from the internet. Yes, from our very own website. And if you have a computer that runs Windows 95, you can totally get on the internet, go to notyourpastors.com, and leave a comment in our guest book. Yep, just click on, on guest book, and it'll take you right there. Oh, my gosh. Here, here are some of the things that people wrote to us. I can't believe we're connecting. Church Boy No More said this. <gasps> Here's hoping the education train wreck does not go the way of the boombox or VHS cassette rewinder. But alas, even if it does, I'll be listening in my Reebok pumps and fanny pack while playing Pogs and skating my Tech Tech. 
My stick will remain on the ice because Jason and Alex will always be not my pastors. Oh, that is nice. Church boy no more. You're the best. Anytime you want to come over and play Pogs, I will slam that down. (laughs) All right. This one comes from Ollie. He wrote this three days ago. That's what the internet told me. (laughs) He says, I miss Chinese porn. Frowny face. Oh, uh, okay. Ollie, I got some Bible verses for you. Odd to leave on our website, but Jesus loves you. Take a spin, now you're in with the techno set. You're going surfing on the internet. Sally has one for us, Jason. Okay. <gasps> Just learned not to type notyourpastorspodcast.com. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have up your sleeves. <laughs> not yeah. tattoos, that's for sure. Very important. Not, it's not notyourpastorspodcast.com. It's, it's just notyourpastors.com. Not that's very important. One more? Mm-hmm. You're going surfing on the internet. Jason, our last one comes from Jordan. He says this, greetings from Wilmore, Kentucky, your neck of the woods. Yeah. Digging the new website. It's not totally mobile friendly yet, which I don't know what you mean what? by that. Yeah. Mobile friendly. Mobile, mo- like a mobile phone? They don't, surely. Mobile? Not a mobile phone. I, my dad still has one. It's the size of a suitcase. Yeah. But I think that fits the 90s motif. I have a couple neighbors starting a podcast called Surviving Seminary, and I'd like to give them a shout out and maybe some quick pointers one they could get on the internet yeah surviving your seminary get on the internet it is huge it's very important it's it's what everybody's going to be using from here on out it's it's exciting keep up the good work prayerfully and earnestly well thanks jordan yeah really appreciate that and that's it jason wait oh do we have a five-star review? On we do have a five-star review. Apple's website. So excited for this new thing called Apple and all the computation machines that they may make. All right, this one says, great show. Kent Berlin wrote that. He says, I really enjoy the show. There's this guy in South Bend, Indiana, which is just the southwest mm-hmm. of us, Jason. And he's so freaking cool. His name is Kent, and he's super awesome. Really. Well, I can't imagine who Kent is talking about, but he's probably about himself. He sounds like a great guy, and I appreciate so much that he didn't swear there. He used freaking, which is is Christian-approved swear language. So this Apple website, how how can people get on there? So you go to the uh, podcast app. Which I know doesn't make a lot of sense. Does, uh, yeah, I'm lost. But just, just hear me. Just hear me. I'm out. having trouble keeping my mouth on the pad. The, if you know you what I'm saying. You go to the Apple iTunes podcast app. You click on our podcast. You scroll down. You'll see an area where you can leave a five star review. And if you leave us a five star review, we have to read it on this audio format show. And we will. Sounds fair. We'll figure it out. We'll get a hold of some tech support, and we'll figure it out, and we'll read whatever you write. Tech support. We're in a basement, Alex. (laughs) Don't don't be joshing. Now, that leads us to our altar call. the altar call jason and even though this is an internet show i see that hand i know i can't see it but i by god there's something that tells me through all those zeros and ones and binary that there's a hand out there being raised and i see that hand over there all across the world hands going up i see that hand sir and i see that hand is that a ma'am? Yes, ma'am. I see that hand, ma'am. What do you think, Alex? Should we pray for these folks? I think we shall. Dear Jesus, help all these people that raise their hands keep their stick on the ice.
Amen. Special thanks to Zach Hunt, author of Unraptured. Find his book on the world's largest bookstore, Amazon.com. Thanks to Jake Beaver for all logo and artwork. He's on Instagram at Jake Beaver Design. Hit him up for a logo or perhaps your artwork. Thanks to Alex, Carrie, Christina, Ollie, and Stephen. They support the podcast on Patreon. Their contributions help bring this episode to you today. You can support this podcast at Patreon and get full access to unedited guest interviews for just a dollar a month. Go to patreon.com slash notyourpastors or the link at notyourpastors.com. For future listeners, visit Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at NotYourPastors. Find future shows at NotYourPastors.com or subscribe to your favorite podcast app like iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you. And good night.